What's going on, Ethos Lakers family, and welcome to another episode of the Ethos Lakers podcast. I'm your host for the solo edition, JC DeLeon. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at JC DeLeon1. We have a lot to talk about on this episode. There is a ton going on with the Lakers. I don't think I've recorded since the Lakers lost to the Boston Celtics on that last second blown call when LeBron James attempted to win the game on a layup and was obviously hacked to the point where even Celtics fans were admitting, yeah, that was a blown call and the Lakers probably should have won that game. It was a tie game at that point. And, you know, the rest is history as we've seen three other times this season. So that's four potential wins in which the game was tied. And so had the free throws been granted, it's not as if oh, something else could have happened, whether or not these falls were fouls were called or not. No, these fouls were called. These would have been wins against Dallas, against Philly, against Sacramento, and now against Boston. And that's four potential wins in the, that are now in the loss column. And to take a look at the West standings, there's so much parity in the conference. Those four wins where the Lakers currently sit at 13 with the record of 24 and 28, if the record would be 28 and 24, that would put them as a four seed in the West, meaning home court advantage for the first round of the playoffs. That's how big those four wins would be. And, I mean, let's look at who those wins came against. Those wins came against Dallas, so Dallas would drop down a peg. They're currently sixth. Sacramento is third. Lakers might even overtake Sacramento in that third spot. And then there's Boston and Philly, which are in the east, so it doesn't really matter as far as Western Conference standings, but that's how huge those games are. And, I mean, it's because of all the parity in the West, and I've talked about certainly how I would trust this Lakers team fully healthy against pretty much every team in the West except for maybe Memphis, and even then, over seven games with the experience of LeBron James, and you don't know how a LeBron James is going to turn it up in the playoffs. Even at his, even at his advanced age, he's still dominating the league. To just see him in the playoffs is going to elevate his play. It's going to elevate AD's play. It's going to elevate the rest of the roster's play. I would trust the Lakers against pretty much anybody in the West. And I know Ethan feels the same way. But all we can do is look to the future and see what might be going on with this team. And as pressing as all of that is, as important as the playoff seeding is, there is another pressing matter that's going to be resolved here in the next three to four games. And I'm personally so, so excited about it. As it now stands, after the victory versus the New York Knicks, LeBron James is 89 points away from passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the number one leading scorer of all time in the NBA. He's probably going to do it against Oklahoma City in Los Angeles. That's four games from now. I don't know what kind of party Jeannie has planned for this moment or what kind of celebration the league has for this moment. I know I'm going to be glued to the TV every second of the next four games 
on the off chance that he might do it sooner. He could do it in New Orleans on Saturday. But such an exciting time. And, and me personally, when I first saw LeBron James in high school, my initial instinct upon seeing him was that this was the can't-miss of can't-miss prospects. There are other people who were expected to come along and take over the game the way Jordan did that never really panned out, that were good, but just didn't pan out. That was your Jerry Stackhouses, your Vince Carters, your Isaiah Riders, players like that that just never, that never panned out the way they were supposed to, although Vince Carter, legendary career. I just knew LeBron wasn't going to miss. And I, we'll, we'll do a full LeBron perspective once he actually does break the record, But I, because I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But, yeah, I'm... I'm just way excited for that. I didn't think he would do it. I will say that when he defeated the Golden State Warriors in 2016, to me, that's when he became my favorite player of all time. And to me, anything he did extra on top of that was just going to be icing on the cake. And it's been seven years, and we've seen a championship. We've seen certainly seen some downs, but his play is as dominant as ever. I just can't wait to see him break this record. But let's move on to the big news from last week was the acquisition of Rui Hachimura. Now, Ethan recorded a solo episode immediately giving his thoughts on the trade, and I know he was excited about it. I tweeted my thoughts like crazy that day. I was ecstatic about the move. I've Loved Ruby Hachimura's game ever since I first saw him in college. He's just such a unique mix of what's perfect in today's game with size, athleticism, shooting ability, the ability to guard multiple positions. I just I felt like this was a can't-miss trade, and I thought that Rob Palinka did an amazing job with this trade, especially getting rid of Kendrick Nunn, who was probably the most ill-fitting piece on this roster for a piece that just fits so immaculately. And as far as my personal scale of guys that play well with LeBron, this, this is the mold. The guy who's almost pretty much the same size as LeBron, who's just as athletic, just as fast. The very first game when LeBron grabbed a rebound and went on a fast break and Rui matched, Rui matched him step for step and LeBron hit him for layup. That's, I knew it was going to be heaven from there. And how's Rui done since he first came on with the Lakers? Well, first game against the Spurs, went off for 12.6 rebounds, only played 20 minutes that game. And he's his minutes have so steadily been increasing. Uh, didn't have a great game against Boston, but for a second game with this team, I think that high-intense environment, rivalry week, all that stuff, Six points in 23 minutes. Uh, he had a really great assist to LeBron James on a uh, on a pick and roll, and the the two of them their chemistry has immediately been been a hit. 16 points against Brooklyn in 27 minutes. Shot one for two from three, but last night against the Knicks, 19 points, two for four from three, nine rebounds, a block. He's just fitting in so well. 
He has the mid-range game that is sorely needed by this team. And one of the things I tweeted about was basically he does kind of kind of does everything JTA does, but way better because he's a much better player. And on top of that, as good as Rui was in Washington, he was never fully happy because it's that organization I don't think ever fully embraced what it was that they had. Now, who he is is a Japanese-born you know, player, but he's also very clearly a black man. And one of the things that, that I've heard people say that stood out among the welcoming press conference in L.A. was that a lot of the questions that he was asked were in Japanese, and he's fully embraced the Japanese side of his culture. His mother is from there. He speaks fluent Japanese. All of his endorsements are from Japan. Like, he... That's where he's from, and, and the Lakers have fully embraced that. And this city will fully embrace that. And I think it's going to truly unleash his happiness as a person. That's just going to make him play a lot better as a player. It, he's just fit in so well. Uh, I just can't imagine a better fit for what it is that this team did. Home run trade for Rob Palenka. And it was the first big trade of the season with the NBA trading deadline right around the corner. Now that it's February 1st, we're eight days away from the deadline. Rumors are only going to get hotter and hotter. And so the Lakers still have moves to make, especially considering that, that Rui is going to take so many minutes of the rotation from guys like JTA, from guys like Wenny and Gabriel. Now that Anthony Davis is back too, it sort of limits Troy Brown's ability. And so what exactly are the Lakers going to do? Well, I think to me, I think it opens up a few possibilities. Now, you've heard me talk time and time again about the more smoke there is behind a rumor, the less, the less obvious it's going to be in happening. And so we've heard time and time again about you know, Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, Buddy Heald. Well, that's gone. Miles Turner signed an extension that basically lifted his salary cap hit number this year from $17 million to 35. He is effectively off the trading table. And I don't think if you can't package Miles Turner with Buddy Heald, I don't think it's worth making that trade at all. Now, Buddy Heald by himself would have brought forth a lot of questions because he's not the greatest defensively and he's pretty limited offensively in that he can pretty much only shoot threes and him alone in the package I wouldn't have necessarily gone for that but Rui plugs in a lot of holes that make the limitations of a guy like Buddy Heald a lot more attractive and this is also why I'm a little bit more on board with the move that's also been bandied about all over the internet in Boyan Bogdanovich from Detroit He's clearly one of the best shooters in the league. Great forward. But I wasn't necessarily in the interest in interested in the idea of another big, slow-footed white guy. I'm just not. What this team needs on top of shooting is this team still needs defense. And so with as much as the Lakers would have had to give up for a guy like Boyan, I was never fully down with that move. But now that Rui's already here, and now that the Lakers still have the two first-round draft picks, the idea of a Boyan Bogdanovich much more attractive because you've got defense in Rui. Anthony Davis is back. You can move Troy Brown around where he fits in 
better because he's actually been playing really well during Anthony Davis's absence. He's been shooting well. He's been rebounding well. He's been he's been a good addition to this team. But realistically, what can or should the Lakers do come trading the deadline? Well, I think it the answer to that question is going to stem from what it is you think about certain players on the roster now and what direction you want this team to go. And for me, a lot of my perspectives changed in that Celtics game. Because in that Celtics game, I was noticing something in the fourth quarter. And it was the fact that Russell Westbrook didn't play a second. And that Patrick Beverly played his best game as a Laker. Came up clutch. Was competent. Kept his head. Had an amazing dunk put back. He was a true leader. And I thought about while all the things that Russell Westbrook has been coming off the bench have been great, he's still a huge hit on the salary cap. And between him and Beverly, it's still not a great shooting pair of guards. But the idea that Russell Westbrook just wasn't needed in the fourth quarter, despite the fact that in Boston he actually played a really great game, but just wasn't needed in the fourth quarter. That's when it came time for me. I think I think now it's time to pull the plug on Russell Westbrook. I think now it's time to see what you could flip that into. If you could flip it into another guard, point guard that could shoot, this is where I think now we're entering the territory of can you flip Russell Westbrook for Mike Conley and Malik Beasley of Utah? I think you can. Can you go really big can you flip Russell Westbrook and Lonnie Walker to Chicago for DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic you might be able to maybe even throw in Alex Alex Caruso it's possible I, I, I felt like that game on Saturday was the game that solidified Patrick Beverly's presence as a Laker in terms of his value to the salary cap, in terms of what it is that he can do in limited windows, but what can the Lakers expand on? And there's even a crazy notion out of Phoenix that Phoenix believes Chris Paul to be on the decline, and that's obvious given his age, his injury history, all that stuff. Chris Paul is very obviously on the decline, but Chris Paul presents an interesting problem. Now, one thing I haven't mentioned throughout any of this, as far as who should be traded, who should be not traded, Dennis Schroeder, this is Dennis Schroeder's team. Dennis Schroeder is the point guard of this team, the quarterback of this team, if you will, the general. Even though I know LeBron is, stick with me for a second. As far as true point guards who can run the offense, he's got such a great relationship with Darvin Ham. You bring in a guy like Chris Paul, and what are you going to have Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder fight it out for who's going to be the starting point guard? No, you have to convince Chris Paul to come off the bench, and can you? As an organization, you've you've convinced Russell Westbrook to come off the bench. Can you convince Chris Paul to come off the bench? I don't think you can. And so that crazy notion that Chris Paul is gettable, I think is a crazy notion. I wouldn't go for that. 
The only point guard I would go for if you're going to get rid of Russell Westbrook is a guy like Mike Conley because Mike Conley is not going to expect to start. And Mike Conley can do what Russell Westbrook does and run the offense for the second unit. Now, Mike Conley can't do everything Russell Westbrook does. But if you bring in a guy like Malik Beasley, that's going to increase the the defensive potential of this team so much, it'll be worth it. I think we need to keep Patrick Beverly. I think the Lakers might need to find a way to flip Russell Westbrook into two, potentially three really useful pieces. And then from there, it's just kind of extra mixing and matching. Now, if you don't necessarily want to go the guard route, I think other gettable pieces. Let's take a look at the let's take a look at the front court. Anthony Davis is back, but yeah, as sad as it may be, we can't fully rely on his health for the rest of the season because he does have the tendency to get hurt. Well, Thomas Bryant played brilliantly while Anthony Davis was hurt, so Thomas Bryant obviously gets to stay. You got Anthony Davis. Rui Rui can act like a big, but he's not a true big. So there's the problem of now what to do with Damian Jones. Damian Jones isn't getting a second of rotation play with this team. And as great as he was a couple of years ago, he's just not panning out this time. And so now's the time you gotta flip Damian Jones. And if you can flip Damian Jones and like a want and a want Toscano Anderson or something. I know Orlando was willing to part with Mo Bamba. And Mo Bamba, you'll remember, was my prized free agent acquisition of this past summer. I think Mo Bamba would fit in great with this team. Blocks a ton of shots. The Lakers can go can go with a big lineup. Imagine a lineup. You've got either Mo Bamba or Thomas Bryant at center. You've got Anthony Davis. You've got Rui Hashimura. You've got LeBron James, and then just insert anybody else into that lineup. Not to mention, amongst all this, you've still got Austin Reeves coming back. So there's plenty of great options for the Lakers to do something big at the trading deadline. Now, you've heard Trevor Lane at Laker Nation before. One One of my favorite things that he says every year is that no trade is better than a bad trade. But I think there's plenty of good trades out there for the Lakers to make still. Um, not sure what you guys think. But, yeah, definitely let us know what you think the Lakers, you know, could and should trade for. Just because, yeah, I think there's plenty of moves out there to be made. I know some of my personal favorite ones. Um and, and again, like, yeah, out of, out of all the point guards, so, like, the Dennis Schroeder, going back to the Dennis Schroeder thing real quick, and I'm sorry for jumping around, is, yeah, so I that's the reason why you, I don't think you should go for a big-name point guard or a point guard who's going to expect to start like a Fred Van Vliet either. Fred Van Vliet is incredibly gettable, it seems, from Toronto. But Fred Van Vliet's going to start, going to want to start. Now, can Dennis Schroeder play a two? Maybe. But I don't think the Lakers want an undersized backcourt with Dennis Schroeder at the two. To me, I think Dennis Schroeder needs to start. I think he's earned it. I think he's played really well this season. And his relationship with Darvin Ham, I think, seals that. But from Toronto, there's Gary Trent Jr. 
Gary Trent Jr. would be an amazing addition to this team. Um, I think there's OG Ananobi. He's, but he's going to be bandied about. He's wanted by so many teams. I don't think it's really gettable. And if you're going to trade a guy like Patrick Beverly, I think the only option is to figure out a way to send him to Chicago and see what you can flip from Chicago, whether it be Elusevich to shore up the front line, uh, some kind of package of Beverly, Damian Jones for Vucevic, plus the first-round picks, that sort of thing. Lakers have options. So hopefully it's going to be an exciting deadline. Hopefully there's a lot of really great days of Laker fandom to come. I believe there are, despite the fact that they're still in that 13 seed. Pretty soon it's going to be time for a lot of teams to, to decide whether or not they want to go for the playoffs or whether or not they want to go Wemby whale watching. Because as of right now, there's only five teams competing for Victor Wembanyama, And I know there are a lot more teams that are going to want him than five. So until next time, uh, once again, I'm your host, J.C. DeLeon. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at J.C. DeLeon1. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Ethos Lakers. You can follow Ethan on Twitter at Ethan underscore Noroff. And until next time... We are out. Thanks for listening.